Open up your Bibles this morning once again to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel, chapter 10. Let's ask the Lord again for His help as we preach the Word and understand it and what a chapter it is. Father, help us again through this glorious book of Daniel. Now as we come to this 10th chapter, as we nearing the end of this book, God, help us to make sense of what we read and understand These are difficult passages to wrestle through and to make sense of. God, give us wisdom. Have your Holy Spirit teach us as your word is exposited. In your name we pray, amen. Verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, A word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Again, Daniel gives us a time frame reference to know where we are in history. Daniel says this is the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. Of course, Persian, the Persian Empire was the ones that replaced the Babylonian Empire. Daniel, of course, was a captive from Judah as a young child brought to Babylon. Persia defeats Babylon, and by default, the Jews become captives of the Persians. With that time frame in mind, let's put the things of Daniel chapter 10 in order of where they belong with the rest of Daniel. This is the third year of King Cyrus, so we know that this happens two years after the events of chapter 9. Chapter 9 is when Daniel receives the prophecy of the 70 weeks that we spent almost a month on discussing that glorious prophecy of the coming of the Messiah and what he would do. That happened in the first year of King Cyrus. Well, this is the third year, so we are two years after that prophecy of the 70 weeks. In that first year of King Cyrus, chapter 9, when Daniel received that prophecy of the 70 weeks, what happened? God then answered the prayer of Daniel by beginning those 70 weeks, by stirring the heart of King Cyrus to send the Jews back home and even finance the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And we could read about that more If you look at Ezra chapter 1, don't turn there now, but if you read Ezra, Ezra is all about what happened when Cyrus sent them back to rebuild the temple. Fascinating stuff. Go read it. Now, the question is, did all the Jews go back home? And the answer to that is no. In fact, Ezra chapter 2 tells us that only 42,360 went back home. Now, we don't know how many Jews were in Persia or Babylon at this time, but we do know that only 42,000 went back to Jerusalem. Obviously, Daniel doesn't go back home. 
And here he is still two years later after the first of the, first of the um, captives go back. Well, why did Daniel did not go back? You would think he'd want to go back to his homeland and see where he grew up and see the building of the temple. Well, remember, there's a variety of reasons. We're not told why Daniel doesn't go back, but I think we could maybe look at a few different possibilities. One, Daniel is now in his late 80s. Perhaps he's too elderly and can't physically make the journey. Maybe. Daniel is about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. How many 80-year-olds in here want to walk 800 miles to go back home? Or on a camel or something like that? Probably not many of you. Perhaps it was a physical thing and Daniel says, I'm at the end of my life and I'm just going to stay here. I don't know. Or perhaps he was staying behind to encourage the Jews who didn't go back home to say, hey, go back home. Go. God has provided this opportunity. Leave. Why are you still here? Or maybe Daniel just saw himself planted in this foreign land knowing that God would use him there until his dying day. And remember, Daniel was very high up in rank and office in Babylon and also in Persia. God, by his sovereign grace, elevated Daniel to high positions of influence and authority there in the Babylonian and Persian empires. What else does verse 1 tell us? What happens in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia? It says a word was revealed to Daniel. Here, Daniel hears another word of God. And it says here that the word was true. The word was true, or the word means faithful. It can be trusted. This word, this vision that Daniel receives can be trusted. Those who are reading Daniel 10, hey, what you're about to read is true. Trust it. And... It was also one of great conflict. Not only was it true, but it was a great conflict or warfare. So this fourth vision that Daniel receives in the book of Daniel is one that is faithful and one about warfare. Interesting. And really, the rest of the book of Daniel, chapters 10, 11, and 12, are about this last vision. Chapter 10 is all about when and how Daniel got the vision. Chapter 11 is what the vision is. And chapter 12 is how the vision ends. So that's the rest of the book of Daniel. If you're wondering where we're going from here, chapter 10, how he gets this last vision. Chapter 11, what the vision is. And chapter 12, how it all ends. Two things to remember. It's true and it's about warfare. Let's see how Daniel got this vision. Look at verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Let's ask right now, why is Daniel in mourning? Again, we're not told specifically, right? But again, I think we can speculate some as to what is going on. Could Daniel still be mourning the sins he was confessing from Daniel chapter 9? Of that of his sins and those of his people. 
We saw Daniel's also in mourning in Daniel 9, confessing his sins. Is Daniel still in this period? Or could Daniel be mourning that not all the Jews went home? Maybe he's heartbroken over the fact that the Jewish people have become comfortable in Persia. Comfortable in enemy territory. A whole other generation or two has now come out. Because remember, they've been there for 70 years. 72 years, actually, now that we're in the third year of King Cyrus. Why are they all there? Maybe Daniel's mourning that they're not going back. Or it could be that maybe Daniel's mourning over the details of the 70 weeks prophecy. Remember, Daniel just heard from God in that 70 weeks that, yeah, they're going to get the temple back, they're going to get the city back, but then God's going to destroy it all over again. Maybe Daniel's mourning that. Or maybe number four, Daniel's mourning that the temple isn't fully rebuilt yet. And as he is observing this feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. Now, Dan, how do you know he was doing that? Well, look, he says it's the 24th day of the first month. That's just a few days after Passover. Maybe Daniel was in mourning and fasting because here he's still far away from home, observing Passover with no temple. The temple's still not rebuilt. Maybe he was just mourning all those things. You can make a case for all those things. Maybe it's a little bit of all of it. I don't know. When he said he did not eat or drink, it's speaking of the Jewish feast at that time. He did not partake of the Jewish festival eating and drinking during that time because of this mourning he was in. And he was fasting. And so he's mourning, he's fasting for three weeks. And where is he? On the bank of the Tigris River. Remember, those are the two main rivers in that area. The Tigris and the Euphrates. Very important in biblical history and especially in the book of Genesis. The Tigris River is where he's at. Look at verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So as Daniel is there, he is seeing another vision of something tremendous. This word that he's going to get from God. He looks up his eyes and he sees a man. And the man is arrayed in bright attire. I mean, all those different things that you could think of. Fine gold from Euphaz. By the way, we have no idea what that means. It's just fine gold. We don't know what Euphaz gold looks like. But it's fine gold around his waist. Body was like beryl. It's translucent. It's hugely shiny. Appearance of lightning. Eyes like torches. You get this idea of brightness. He looks and he sees a man and the man looks bright. He's shining brightly. And his sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude. So the question then is, who is Daniel seeing? Right? Who does he see? And, and again, like a lot of the book of Daniel, especially the prophetic portion, people come to different conclusions of who this person was. At first glance, and some people think, that Daniel is looking at Jesus. 
He's looking at a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, which did happen in the Old Testament where Jesus, pre-incarnate means before he took on flesh. So before he was born in Bethlehem, before he took on flesh, of course, he's the pre-existing God, eternal God. He's always existed. But before he was born in Jerusalem, I mean, Bethlehem, (laughs) um, he appeared in different places in the Old Testament, And when that happens, we call that a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Some people see this as that. Um, That would not be unusual. And the reason that some reach that conclusion, and I can understand why, because of how Daniel describes him. How Daniel describes him in all this bright attire. And it sounds very similar, although not exactly, very similar to what John sees on the Isle of Patmos, when he's seeing the Lord Jesus as he begins the book of Revelation. Remember, John's on the Isle of Patmos as a prisoner, and he hears the voice of his Savior speaking to him, and John turns around. John turns around to see the voice that was speaking to him, and who does he see? The risen Christ. And this is what John says in Revelation chapter 1, as he describes Jesus. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, excuse me, shining in full strength. So, Not in the exact description that Daniel sees, but very similar. He sees the risen Christ in his glory, and it is bright and blinding, right? This fascinating description of Jesus there in the Isle of Patmos. Whoever Daniel sees has a similar bright, glorious appearance. And so I understand why can some say that he's seeing Jesus. However, that's not my view, and I'll explain that as the text goes on, why I don't think it is Jesus, and we'll see. If all we had this description, then we'd probably come to that same conclusion. Others, and this is what I would say, that it's not Jesus, but an angelic being. It was an angel, an angel of some sort, an angel who is reflecting the splendor and glory of God. Angels in the Bible often appear in bright and blinding light to the people they speak to. Not always, but sometimes. But which angel? Which angel appeared to Daniel? Well, there's only two angels in the Bible that have a name. Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel and Michael. And right now we're going to eliminate Michael because this person, this angelic being, mentions Michael by name later in the chapter. So let's cross out Michael. So is it Gabriel? Possibly. And I could see Gabriel being a possible explanation. Um, But I don't know. I say that it's an unnamed angel. And I'll tell you why. This is not the first time that Daniel sees, that Daniel would have seen Gabriel. Daniel saw Gabriel in both chapter 8 and chapter 9, and he mentions him by name. Here in chapter 10, he sees this angelic being, 
but does not give a name. He knows Gabriel. He's seen Gabriel. And there's no name given to this angel. I believe more than likely, it could be Gabriel, but I believe that it's more likely an unnamed angel reflecting the splendor and glory of God. Not that the angel is bright by himself, but he is reflecting the holy God that he serves. Look at verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his words. I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And Daniel says, all the other people around me, they ran like chickens, right? They were scared when they saw, the, uh, when they heard or saw the voice and the, and the bright light. And Daniel says, I alone saw it. Everyone else feared and hid. But then Daniel says, when I saw it, I lost all strength. I lost all radiant appearance. And I fell on my face as a deep sleep with my face to the ground. I don't think Daniel's saying he got bored and went to sleep. He took a nap. The angel was that boring. What I think happens here is that Daniel faints. (laughs) Daniel passes out. And he's face down on the ground, passed out because of the brightness of what he saw, the fear of what he saw, and the trembling that he was feeling. Look at verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So the angel touches Daniel, who had fainted, and Daniel goes from being on his face to on his hands and knees, trembling. And then the angel says, Stand up, Daniel. You are greatly loved. Again, something very similar that Gabriel told him in chapter 9. Daniel, you are greatly loved. Very possible it could be Gabriel. The angel tells him that he's going to give him another vision and then commands Daniel to get up and listen. And that he will help Daniel understand what he's about to hear. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The appearing of this angel is because Daniel prayed. 
just like what happened in chapter 9. Remember, in chapter 9, Daniel prays. And as soon as the words come out of his mouth, God sends Gabriel to go give him the 70 weeks prophecy. And here the angel comes in the same way because Daniel prayed and was sent to deliver a message to Daniel. Here's Daniel fasting for three weeks. What do you do when you fast? You pray. Daniel is a man of prayer. We've seen that again and again and again throughout this book. He prays. He prays. He seeks God. What does he do in his morning? He prays. A lot to be said about that, church. And the angel tells him, Daniel, your prayers are answered once again. That's why I'm here. Look at verse 13. This is where it gets really, really fascinating. The angel says to Daniel, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Fascinating. Fascinating. The angel says to Daniel, um, Hey, Daniel, sorry I'm late. But I came to give you the answer to your prayer. I would have gotten here sooner, but I was delayed. I was held back. Why were you delayed, Mr. Angel? The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me or delayed me. Who is that? See, this is one reason I do not believe this person is Jesus. This angel delivering this message could not get to Daniel quick enough. He was held back. He was withheld by somebody else. I'm sorry, church, but the glorious Christ does not get held back. The glorious Christ doesn't answer to anybody else of when he shows up and when he says what he says. So for that reason alone, I don't believe he is speaking about Christ. And he says that the person who held him back is the prince of Persia. What does that mean? How can a prince of Persia hold back an angel? Now the word prince is often referred to angels, right? Satan is referred to as what? The prince of the power of the air. Right? Princes in the scriptures often refer to angels. However, why would another angel hold back another angel of God? Because it's not an ordinary angel. The prince of Persia is a fallen angel. The prince of Persia is a demon. That's what a demon is. A demon is a fallen angel who fell from heaven in Satan's rebellion. We are getting a peek into something that we cannot see with our own eyes. Here is two spiritual creatures 
an angel of God and a demon, a fallen angel, and they are at war. This is fascinating. This is not something you could witness with your own eyes. He would have got there quicker, but was withheld by the king of Persia. We are seeing in Daniel chapter 10 an angelic and spiritual war. This is incredible. And this is the warfare that Daniel is receiving. What kind of war is coming, Daniel? What is this last vision all about? It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war versus the angels of God versus the demons who fell, who were once angels. The prince of Persia is a demon that is influencing the affairs of the Persian Empire. Sorry, Daniel, I would have been here sooner. But the demon in Persia delayed me. See, angels are not omnipotent. Angels are not omniscient. They're not all-powerful. They're not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at the same time. That's only referred to God. Jesus doesn't have to travel from one place to the next. He just shows up. Angels are not omnipresent. He was withheld in the spiritual realm by a fallen angel that is influencing the affairs of the Persian Empire. And he said, I would have come, but I needed help. And who came to his rescue? Who came to his help? Michael. Michael. He says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. How long was Daniel fasting? Three weeks, which is 21 days. Again, as soon as Daniel prays, as soon as Daniel prays, the angels sent to answer his prayer. But wouldn't you like to pray like Daniel? Right? As soon as you pray, God sends an angel to answer your prayer. I mean, we saw it in chapter 9 and we saw it in chapter... Of course, prayer is answered by the will of God. So let's just be clear on that. But here it is. As soon as Daniel prays, and he, God sends an angel to go tell Daniel the answer. And who rescues this angel, whether it's Gabriel or an unnamed angel, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Michael, the archangel. Michael, the angel who's given charge over the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, God's covenant people in the Old Testament. He says, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. What we are seeing is that Michael the archangel had to go clear the way for this angel to get to Daniel. Because another fallen angel was holding him back. Isn't this crazy stuff? This is fascinating things. This is spiritual warfare. This is the last vision that Daniel is going to get. And he gets a glimpse of it by how he receives it and how it is withheld from it. And it's over the course of Daniel's prayer and fasting. That's why I'm here, Daniel. Your prayers are being answered once again. Again, this can't be Jesus. Jesus is the sovereign son of God, the second person of the Trinity. No demon can delay him. 
Jesus is the omnipotent God, does not need to be rescued by Michael, the archangel, to deliver him to answer a prayer to Daniel. Listen to me. What this chapter really unfolds for us is that there is an invisible, real, spiritual, and angelic war happening all around us. Did you know that this war has earthly and physical ramifications that can be seen on earth? Who is he the demon of? Of Persia. Persia, the global military superpower of the day, the reigning kingdom on earth at the moment. And this spiritual war, this invisible angelic war, has both positive and negative effects and things that we could see especially in the realm of government. Apparently, according to this verse, we can surmise that there are certain demons that have been given jurisdiction over certain parts of the world. He's the prince of who? Persia. The prince of Persia. He's the demon of Persia. And if you skip down to verse 20, I hate to skip ahead to 20, but I got to make this point here. Look what else the angel tells to Daniel. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of who? Greece will come. We all know, according to Daniel's other prophecies, that which empire comes after Persia? The Greek empire. And guess what? The Greek empire has its own little fallen angel, its own little demon that is waging war against the people of God. I'm fighting the prince of Persia now. Behold, there's another one coming, Daniel. And this falls in line with everything that Daniel has received up to this point. This tells us what? This war, this spiritual battle in the angelic realm is an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing warfare. Now, what could be happening in this time that the demon of Persia could be influencing against the people of God? Well, it's very important that Daniel tells us this happens when? In the third year of King Cyrus. What happens in the first year? We already said he sends all the Jews home. 42,000 go back home. They start rebuilding the temple. Ezra says they build the foundation. But then, while they get the foundation built of the temple, strong opposition, Ezra tells us in chapter 4, strong opposition happens. And there is a revolt against those who are building the temple, wanting them to stop. They want them to stop. And these people, and Ezra wrote about them, are the Samaritans, who are half Jews, half Gentiles. They were not happy about all these Jewish people coming back home. Life was better without them there. And now they're going to rebuild the temple? And Ezra chapter 4, Ezra tells us that those people who raised opposition to building the temple wrote a letter, this is many years later, wrote a letter to Artaxerxes, which is come, came after Cyrus as the king of Persia. And they, he wrote him a letter. You can read it in Ezra 4. And in the letter they say, do you really want these people to rebuild their temple? Didn't you send them back home and you paid for it? Don't you know that once they get everything they want, they're going to like forsake you? They're going to forget about you? They may even... Try to revolt you. 
Well, the king of Persia gets this news, Artaxerxes, and what does he do? Hey, you're right. Why are we building this for them? Stop building the temple. Why do you think that happens? Spiritual war. Spiritual warfare. The prince of Persia is fighting the angels of God. Fighting the will of God. Of course, we know God is sovereign. (laughs) No one's going to thwart the plans of God. Even when it seems evil is advancing, that is even under the sovereign plan and will of God to allow it for a season, even for the purposes of his own glory. But here we see the spiritual warfare take place as they go back to build the temple and they put a stop to it. And guess what? For 16 years, they had to stop building the temple until a new Persian king came and said, go finish what you started. Could the prince of the demon of Persia have anything to do with it? I believe so. Very possibly this war that they're fighting is about the Jews rebuilding the temple in the city. The demon prince of Persia creates division and opposition, stirring the heart of the king to stop building the temple. This is an invisible war. No human eye can see this happening in the spiritual realm. Nothing. But we see the ramifications. We see the physical applications of what's happening at that time. And what happens in the years after that? And Daniel is going to get a glimpse of that future, of that warfare in chapter 11, of what happens to God's people. And it's a troubled time, just like they said in the 70 weeks. This vision was about this great warfare. What warfare? Not just war on earth, but war that's stirred up by the evil one against the God of the universe to attempt to thwart his will. But obviously, that can never happen. I believe the evidence of spiritual warfare is not just for the days of Ezra and Daniel, but we see this even today in our world. And you don't even have to dig deep to see this warfare happening in our day. When, our, when we as a nation and society accept such wicked things, and are swayed in popular opinion, which even five years ago would have rejected some of this garbage, is now being accepted and tolerated and even put into law, you know there's a spiritual war happening. You know there's a demon of the United States that is influencing an anti-God agenda in such things as what? Abortion which seeks to destroy the sanctity of human life, which God has ordered to preserve. We see it in the acceptance and the prevalence of the LGBTQ movement, which seeks to destroy what? God's order of gender, sexuality, and marriage. Anything that God stands for and has ordered in his law, the evil one will fight against. And whenever we see these things being stirred up in our society, yeah, they come from the hearts of evil men, but they are influenced, I believe, by the evil one and the, and the demonic host. 
We see this in the woke movement, which seeks to destroy God's design for humanity, causing division and separating us into so-called different races. We don't have different races. There is one race, the human race. We see this in the theory of evolution, which tries to explain away God by so-called science and has turned many of our young people into agnostics and atheists. We see this in the feminist movement, which seeks to destroy biblical womanhood and manhood. We see this in the church as well. Oh, yeah, Satan loves to influence the church. We see this in such ways as the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all which seeks to pervert the gospel by making the gospel into health and wealth and riches. We see this, I believe, in the seeker-sensitive movement in which churches have abandoned the worship of God for the entertainment of the masses in the name of so-called church growth. And brothers and sisters, the lists can go on and on and on. And every year there's another thing to be added to that list. There is a great spiritual warfare raging all around us. We can't see it, but we see the effects of it in the hearts of evil men and women. Not just in Susa, the citadel in Persia, or in Babylon, but we see it in Washington. We see it in all other capitals and countries around the world. As the demonic hosts just want one thing. They want to make a mockery of God and His law. That's all they want to do. We see Satan blinding the minds of unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 4.4. To keep them from seeing what? The truth of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers. We're at war. And the sad thing is most Christians and churches live like we're at peace. Are you crazy? We're at war. But you know what? We have a king who is ruling and reigning on his throne until all his enemies are made his footstool. And they cannot win. The apostle Paul warns us of this spiritual war that's happening. In the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10 Paul's final charge to them is finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you see that? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What what does Paul say? If you think your worst enemies are evil men and women who do the worst things, yeah, they're a part of the problem, but that's not where the war begins. Their minds and hearts are influenced by the spiritual warfare that's been going on since the beginning of time. And we see this war even mentioned in Revelation, for example. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, John sees and he says, Now war arose in heaven. War in heaven? Yeah. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. 
And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he who was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. There's a war. There's a war. We see it in Daniel chapter 10 as one demon keeping another angel of God from delivering a message to Daniel. Again, God willed that. If not, no demon could do that without God's permission. We know that even from the book of Job. Why did the things happen to Job? Because God gave Satan permission. God is sovereign over all the demonic host. God is sovereign over Satan. They only do what God allows them to do. God has never lost an inch in this war. He's telling a story for his glory, and he's even using evil people and the demonic host for his purposes, just like he used Pharaoh in Egypt. God will be glorified. God will and has won. Like Psalm chapter 2 says, All you kings and rulers of the earth, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Bow the knee to King Jesus. It's not going to end in a pleasant way for you unless you do. And we know that in the end, this great deceiver and every fallen angel gets thrown once and for all into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever and ever as God has ultimate justice even over rebellious and wicked spirits. Amazing. Look at verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Daniel couldn't even speak. He looked down and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. Daniel, this just drains Daniel. No strength. He can't even think. He can't even speak. He is mute, face on the ground, until an angel comes and touches his lips that he can speak again. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. Three times Daniel sees a vision. Three times he gets no strength and falls to the ground. Three times he is touched by an angel who strengthens him. Stand up, Daniel. Look at verse 19. O man greatly loved, fear not. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. (laughs) I came to give you a message. But excuse me, I got to go back to the war. 
Now I've got to go back. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. This war doesn't end here, Daniel. As you know, the beasts are coming and the four beasts and you know all that. You've heard that three different times now. This is just one of the beasts. There's another beast coming. But you know how that ends. In Daniel chapter 7, in Daniel's vision of the Son of Man, the Son of Man enters the throne room of God and kills the beast once and for all. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. I've got some help, Daniel. His name is Michael. He, your, he's your angel. Not just Daniel's angel, but the angel of the people of God. The archangel of God. Friends, as we consider this wonderful chapter, there's lots of things to glean from here. One of them is to consider what is happening all around us. When you turn on the news and you read of heinous things, when you see evil people accepting evil things and trying to pass evil things and make you a, a, a hater because you don't accept their agenda, know that there is a spiritual war raging. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But King Jesus has commanded us to go. And what is the only answer? What is the only answer to fight against this demonic host? Go and make disciples. Teach them everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the ends of the earth. Baptize. Teach them. Go. Spread the gospel. Because you know what? It cannot fail. It cannot fail to save all of God's elect. And one day, King Jesus will come, and all this is history. The war will finally be over. But until then, the war rages on, but the enemy is losing the battle. And he will lose the battle. Even though it may seem the enemy has gained some ground, don't worry. Stand for truth. Fight. We talked yesterday to our men to be a man. And take courage. Be a woman. And take courage. For you are children of the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The reason we know all this is true and the reason we can glory in this is because Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. And he resurrected from the dead on the third day and he's ascended to heaven where he is now sitting on the throne at the right-hand side of God the Father. This is what gives us peace in this spiritual warfare. But we have to be ready. We have to be vigilant. Like Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord. 
for our battles not against flesh and blood. Help us to take courage when we see our nation falling apart. Help us to take courage when we see evil advancing in our world. To know that it's impossible for it to succeed in its fullest intention. Help us to be courageous people who are willing to fight the battle of truth and to spread the gospel of King Jesus, knowing that this is the only answer. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Gospel of God to advance against the kingdom of darkness. And whether we are faithful or not, you win. You will accomplish all your purpose. Encourage us, God. Help us to not sit quiet and stay on the sidelines, but to speak for truth. Help us to speak when we're going to be Ridiculed. Help us to stand up when we're going to be shamed for believing the things we do. Help us to love those who say that we hate them, which is not true. God, help us to be the kind of people in this warfare that you have called us to be under the orders of King Jesus. Father, I pray for I pray for God for people who might be listening, whether in this room or at home. They're on the wrong side of this war. And they don't even know it. They're so blind and deaf and spiritually dead, they don't even know that they're advancing the cause of the evil one by rejecting the gospel of, the, of King Jesus. That he died for their sins, was buried and has risen again. And if they believe and trust in him, they can be saved and forgiven of their sins and adopted as a child of God and enlisted for battle. Help us, God. Show them truth. Help us, God, to pray for them, to love them, And God, may you do your will and work through your Holy Spirit in them. Thank you for this chapter 10 of Daniel, which reminds us that we're in a battle and we cannot give up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a closing hymn together. God bless you. If I could help you in any way, please see me after the service. I'd love to pray with you or tell you more about Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's sing it.